it's still the happiest thing, mm-hmm. whether I'm on the stage or off the stage, just the way that I can connect with the universe. It's just yeah. the absolute best. And it's the same. That part's the same. Yeah. You know, it's just it, things hurt more now. <laughs> you, know? you know, but I'm still willing to do it. You yeah. Know? Welcome to Let's Make a Mixtape. For the first episode of season one, I sat down with my friend Carl Agel to talk about his opening track selection. You might know Carl from his time in the legendary Raleigh, North Carolina band Corrosion of Conformity. He was the vocalist during the Blind Album era, and he also got his start in the hardcore scene in a band called Seizure, which we'll talk a bit about in the episode. He then went on to form several other bands, including the fantastic rock band Leadfoot and his current project Lie Heavy, which is another super group of sorts featuring members of the Backsliders, Confessor, and some of the other guys from Leadfoot. It is fantastic. I've seen them live several times in the last couple of months. They know what they're doing, and you should make a point to listen to them. And to go check them out if they come to a town near you. They just released their first record, Burn to the Moon, and it is glorious. Carl also serves as the lead vocalist of The Skull, filling in for the late Eric Wagner. And he also contributes his vocal talents to the Legion of Doom, a group which was created to honor the memory of Wagner and includes members from The Skull, Blood of the Sun, Sacred Dawn, and St. Vitus. As this is the first episode, I should state that we're not able to play the song selection because I don't want to piss off the copyright gods, but Carl has given me the all-clear to play a track from Lie Heavy, so be sure to check that out at the end of the episode. You can hear this episode's featured song, Carl's selection, Intro, by Bad Brains, on the Season 1 playlist, which lives on Spotify and YouTube, and is updated with each new episode, so be sure to follow along. You can find links to those playlists as well as a transcript of today's show and show notes at letsmixtape.com. Thank you so much for listening. I am excited to kick off the season with Carl. So without further ado, let's make a mixtape. You chose Intro by (laughs) Bad Brains off of their album Eye Against Eye. Why did you pick Intro? (laughs) <laughs> because it's called intro dude <laughs> duh no it just it made me it was just so silly just you said what could be the opening song and i it's just this short instrumental track that is literally the introduction to that brilliant record and i feel kind of a lot of people have different uh, albums they love by them, but somehow they were peaking to me at that point. Mm-hmm. There's something just about the, the musicality and the insane fusion of reggae, hardcore, and metal that they were all about and the energy. And that it's just a great short track. It just just popped into my head. I'm like, this is the perfect track. Intro. So, so what makes it the, the perfect opener in your eyes? Uh, 
it just sets sets things up like a good introduction does. It, 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 it. I don't know how to describe it, but it just it. it it's it's dynamic. It's got a lot of. It's got pauses. It's got air. It build it, it builds anticipation. What's next? You know, it draws you in instantly. At least in my world. So, do you prefer with with albums the first track being kind of an element of mystery and and setting setting the tone of of what's to come or yeah i think why not yes that's a good that's a good take on it all right all right yeah bad brains did you cross paths at all yes i've i'd seen them before when i was part of the connecticut hardcore scene going down to new york city with seizure uh with seizure my my band from 83 to 87 my first first band essentially and i mean definitely my first band and they were just kind of you know the legends from dc but I had the supreme honor of opening up for the original lineup. And it was, I think, my third, fourth, fifth, and sixth show I'd ever played with COC before the Blind Album even came out. It was the summer of, or I think it was summer of 89. Wow. Okay. So we, I know we did Virginia Beach opening for them, the Roxy uh, down in Atlanta, Tennessee. We did Nashville and we did Charlotte at the 4808, I remember. It was just, it was really, really cool. How, do you have any key memories from that experience? Um, <laughs> I remember them almost not making the gig. Oh, uh, no. Some, uh, the usual bad brains touring wacky hijinks. There was always some kind of issue going on, I think. And uh, the other band was Leeway on the bill from New York. Uh, so that was really cool. Those guys are awesome. And uh, I just remember they ran late. I think it was the first show was Charlotte and everybody was kind of freaking out. But then they showed up and made good. Yeah. Oh, in Virginia Beach. That was a great show. Just watching the the you know the the, the Godfather HR basically mm-hmm. one of the best front guys and amazing vocalist but his um, performance just him that is so captivating um, all eyes upon him just 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 a complete and total badass otherworldly thing you know and I, I guess you know the height you know watching them at like you know you could see them at cbs you'd be doing a backflip and then keep singing you know that wow. kind of thing just the sheer athleticism and <laughs> fury you know that they used to bring and then they flipped the script and would go full-blown reggae and then have some super reggae heavy sets that would upset a lot of hardcore kids because they're like oh, oh why are they playing all the reggae stuff you know <laughs> but that was their right to do that you know yeah of course so and um it was really cool hr actually came to see um us play during the COC blind reunion stuff we did. Oh, wow. In 2015, I think he came out Okay, in Baltimore. He showed up. So it was really, really cool to, to see him out there in the crowd and, and unexpected. Yeah. So we, yeah. we were just blown away by that. That's, so that's Reed awesome. and I were very, very happy. <laughs> you, you keep a, keep a lot of contacts with some of the bands you're running with back in the day. Our paths cross occasionally. Sure. Yeah. There's some people in the scene for sure. Here and there, but no, not actively. I'd say that'd be a lie if I said I was actively on the phone with people or <laughs> you know, texting or something, you know. Uh, but, you know, we all know who we were and where we were. And, yeah. You know, I think there's um, still that mutual respect, I hope, and, and at least from my point of view. So I'm always excited to see that there's, people are still going. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a hell of a legacy for a lot of bands. What kind of brought you into that hardcore scene initially what what made you want to start a band and i was just play with seizure another pissed off teenager you know yeah. i just moved to the united states and and when i was 15 i just turned 15 years old two weeks before i, I set foot in the 
New York City first and then just, well, point of point of entry or, you know, was living in Connecticut and Greenwich specifically, a very preppy, uptight, mm-hmm. you know, it was the height of the Reagan era, was just kicking into full, well, kicking into gear. Uh, yuppie and preppy were the were the keywords back then. I know sure. that's ancient history for a lot of you people. <laughs> Look it up. But I was just you know this little disgruntled rock and roller, and then I found kinship in what I didn't realize there was this amazing indie uh, hardcore punk scene in Stanford, Connecticut, that operated hmm. out of a club called the Anthrax Gallery. And upstairs there was an art gallery, and people that have their art and photos up there, and then poetry readings and whatnot, all kinds of stuff. And then you'd go downstairs to this illegal club, basically, well, totally illegal, and see every mind-blowing hardcore punk band, punk band, new wave band, whatever, coming through, you name it, European, uh, you know, US, you know, any any band you can think of came through there. It was mind-blowing. Five bands every Friday night, five bands every Saturday night. And then it was only, you know, 45 minutes north of New York City, so we'd get on that, Metro North train and ride down and catch CB's matinees oh, and shows nice. the Rock Hotel and Irving Plaza. and You said you, you caught uh, Bad Brains at CB's. Did you catch any other of those those legendary groups playing CB's? I'm not trying to sound like a jerk, but no, I, I, it's literally too many to to, yeah. to to list. I mean, you name it, I've, I saw them there. You know, like, and, and COC, my first show with COC New York City was when I joined the band was there and oh no shit that's at CBS and I'd actually played there with three other bands so I played there with four different bands uh, over over the years including even Leadfoot and uh, obviously COC Seizure and School of Violence another band I was in when we played there at CBS it was the return of COC and we were still this is pre blind mm-hmm. so we were still playing all the old tunes off of uh, Animosity and Technocracy and even Eye for Nice and. It was such a highly anticipated show, the, the return of the band, because the band had been quiet for about a year and a half after Simon Bob left. And the turnout, it was packed to the gills, and it was became such a violent affair that, that it got so insane with some really shitty skinhead stuff going on that we stopped the show three times. The, there was ambulances lined up outside. Yeah, it just got really crazy. I was just like, okay, we didn't finish our set. Damn. And there's a picture of me that back when, you know, the, the, all these metal rags, yeah. uh, Metal Maniacs was one of them. And they had these little inserts, the, the main cover piece, and these little kind of photographic inserts, for those of you who can imagine that, maybe. And I was on one of the little inserts, and you could see me standing there on stage surrounded by people. If you looked in the background, right kind of behind me, you know, in, in the depth of field, there was a kid with a chain wrapped around his hand coming down from the stage. Oh, shit. And it's in the picture. And if you, you don't look at it, you don't see it right away. And I was like, yeah, it got really messy. And we're like, okay, this is not fun anymore. It was amazing at first. And then it was just terrifying. Oh, did did you ever go back? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we went back, but we also played a lot of other places in New York. Sure, sure. So, yeah, we were. I was lucky I stepped into a ready-made thing, you know, obviously, mm-hmm. with, with COCs, um, built and drawn, stuff like that. So... But it was cool. Yeah, we we uh, yeah, I played I've played a lot of places in the city, but good old CBs now. Like I, I don't even know what it is now. Did you ever have any sort of feelings when you step on a stage that's that's legendary? Did you ever have any sort of like emotional reaction, or do you still? Oh yeah, I mean, 
you then you never know what's gonna at least I never know what's gonna make me feel trigger that kind of mm-hmm. feeling. But some of these monster stages, like I just played in with uh, the Skull Legions of Doom, Legions of Doom specifically, over there were just massive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hellfest and Grass Pop specifically, and you know it's huge. It's an arena stage, you know, and that's yeah. just crazy. I have had that experience before with COC when we opened up for Iron Maiden too. Um, like we played Red Rocks, which is kind of mind blowing. Whoa! It's the summer of '92. It was us and Testament and Iron Maiden, and just to ride those special four wheel drive trucks up and they get <laughs> dropped off and hike up there, you know, and wow. Uh, See the kids camped out with the normal banners back in the day, in the old, <laughs> olden days. And uh, no, that stage is mind-blowing. It's just, uh, you're up there in the Rockies. It's unreal, you know. So I, I've had the good fortune of doing that. But there's been a lot of – played the Whiskey was a great stage. Ooh. Really cool, legendary. Yeah. Stage, yeah, strip, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. Whiskey Go-Go going – Yeah. Whether it was, you know, the Germs or the Doors, you know, whoever, <laughs> you know, whatever era. Yeah. You know. Minneapolis First Ave was always amazing. Seventh Street entry and First Avenue is just mm. mind blowing. Famous stage, you know, like Prince used to play, and I played there. I played there like three times, I think. Circling back to Bad Brains, do you, do you revisit those records often? I do. Or, yeah. I do. I mean, you know, that era, just, you know, their first, you know, the the Roar cassette the, was the, you know, Vanity Seek, that era, like, you know, essential hardcore boot camp kind of stuff to yeah, me, yeah, yeah. you know, like, must have in the in the kit, you know, the Desert Island hardcore punk kit. Sure, sure. Yeah, any, or whatever. Any, others, uh, any other Desert? Uh, oh there's tons but i don't know damage black flag you know yeah, like yeah, yeah. that early all the early kind of stuff i guess just for me no no, no i'm not disparaging anything uh current or less you know not from the original wave it, and there's so much good stuff from all periods but those are just essential and i don't know there's other so many other things I like discharge here nothing say nothing see nothing that's sure, like sure. the quintessential british punk rock you know, assault. I I asked these questions, but also if I was asked these questions, I don't think I could. I feel like I put people in a very difficult position. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I myself. No, no, it's it's. <laughs> I think it's I think it's uh, fun to look back. Yeah, I was I was very very fortunate, and obviously it wasn't the only one. I was very lucky to be a part of some really amazing stuff that was going on. I just. Showed up and there it was, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, And no better place for a 16-year-old. And going back to the band thing, I mm-hmm. was never planning to be in a band. I'd played harmonica and saxophone. When oh, I was wow. Young, younger. Chamber ensemble and jazz ensemble in Hong Kong. Um, had a Silmer knockoff alto sax my mom bought me. I still have. I think some people realize that my great aunt gave me a Honer harmonica in the key of C. When I was 10, for my 10th birthday. So I think certain people were kind of just always knew I was into stuff and should express myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was a pretty ripping harmonica player for a while when I was a tween. <laughs> so you- then, but but anyway, so I came, I was just hanging out. And then Jeff Coleman, the drummer of Seizure, approached me and said, Hey, man, do, do you want to sing for our band? I was like, okay. And... 
the practice space was in the tiny, tiny basement of this basically shoebox of a house, row house in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And we could barely fit in the little basement. And there was like a Fender, Fender VibroChamp amp with a headphone plugged into the jack. And I sang into the headphone because it works as a microphone when you plug the quarter inch headphone jack in. There was no microphone. So I was screaming through that. And the diaphragm, it actually works. That's gnarly. Try that at home, kids. <laughs> That's so, awesome. Yeah. So that was, I remember that clearly, like that was the first foray into it. And, in Hong Kong, what was the no what was the music like? Scene to speak of. No. We, we had AM radio. We had a, you know, a couple of English stations. It was yeah. a British colony at the time. Sure. This is I was there from seventy one to eighty one, and it was basically there was no scene whatsoever. Mm. I remember the only thing that came through is I saw the Osmonds. Okay. Came through and Peter Pan. You know, we were little kids. We went to that. The year I was mo- I moved eighty one, right after the Clash came through and played okay. some disco in Hong Kong. Oh, wow. I totally missed that. Though my sister had turned me on. I had one sister, who, two older sisters, and one turned me on to like Zeppelin and that kind of, you know, and then the other one, uh, Anna, the, the, that was Charlotte. And then Anna, who was about, uh, turned me on to The Clash and, and yeah, yeah. a bunch of new wave stuff and Elvis Costello and all that stuff that was happening at that time. But, <laughs> but nothing hit the airwaves when you were there. No. So no. I had listened to the vinyl, I would buy. Mm hmm. In the Stanley Market, there was a little record store there in the middle of the marketplace with the chickens running around and all that stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Famous open-air market. This guy, the coolest little record store that had great stuff, you know. And uh, But nothing came through. It wasn't, it wasn't that, you know, I can only dream of that. Yeah. I remember uh, we, I won a, a record of my choosing on an AM call-in show. Oh, damn. And right. I went in and they gave me a silver convention album, which was, you know, super disco. <laughs> And I, I, I was like, oh, gee, thanks. And then I, they said to go pick it up at the record store, and I traded it in for uh, Sweet Level Headed by The Sweet. Nice. You know. Nice. With the, 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 they had the Love Is Like Oxygen was on that album. I was kind of disappointed in the rest of the album. It wasn't that rocky. <laughs> <laughs> but it was better than the Silver Convention. Yeah. <laughs> um, though, I, you know, check out Silver Convention. They don't suck. Yeah. Well, Disco, it feels like is having a little bit of a... Not explicitly coming back, but a lot of elements seem to be sure. coming Dude, back. Dude, stealing the stealing the rhythms, yeah, or, or, or you know, revisiting all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, there's some jamming stuff back then for sure. Yeah, I was sent to summer school one year with my sister, and you know, besides typing, I had to take disco dancing lessons. Oh, one summer school, and my sister, my sister made me take with her, so she'd have a dancing partner. So do you uh, still? I, I have still have so some of that muscle memory. Moves. No, actually, <laughs> I remember a couple. Jeez, it's insane. I was like 1978 or something like that. Wow, dig back in the old yeah. memory and break out some some disco. Thankfully, during. Anna was turned me on, and she bought me my first punk rock record, my the, the first Clash album. Nice. Yeah. Just erase that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she she was pardoned for her sins. Perfect. Did you ever incorporate your harmonica and or saxophone playing into any of your recordings there is an outtake on the blind album oh of of me fiddling around somewhere but i don't know what that is but buried in the somewhere sure Sure. (laughs) but but (laughs) and then harmonica we talked about it leadfoot especially yeah the more rock and roll kind of vibe we talked about it just i don't know never happened yeah (laughs) Next, next, I have yeah, record. Yeah, there you there's, go. There's some on there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to tell Ron Holzer, the 
Legends of Doom is going to open it with a big harmonica intro. Beautiful. In fact, I'm going to do intro by the Bad Brains on harmonica. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Murder your first. Yeah. <laughs> In all of your various projects, your, your massive discography, any laboring over what track to open with like how much how much time did you devote to deciding which songs to open the the Leadfoot records with and and lie heavy and i've always always uh agonized over that in a yeah. good way um i've sequenced every record i've been on yeah i can say that even blind i, I sequenced and they nice no one could argue that point if they were just lie detector time yeah, yeah, yeah whatever i'm not saying but i i was really important for me i mean i wasn't saying like i wrote it was I said it and it was the law, but right, right. I made my case. Sure, sure, sure. And my case was decided to be a, a good case, like a good decision. And, you know, because I think an album is a narrative that yeah. has to have, you know, a, a, a ta- you know, attack, sustain, all that, you know, whatever, however you want to look at it. But sure. it has to it begin somewhere. I, I like the idea of, of the journey and then and then uh, some kind of finish or you know i'm not saying it has to be a perfect conclusion but mm-hmm. i like the idea of a, a flow kind of like you know a good set list yeah yeah you know, yeah that's that's really what it is and i know we live in the age of singles and i guess people did live in the age of singles a long time ago as well so it's not that anything new but it's a it's an but, album genre but an album you know? genre is that's what we're in i like to look at it that way yeah and I, everybody's in agreement with me there i think and we took went to some pains with the, the lie heavy albums the most recent effort in that front mm-hmm. to make it flow well i think yeah yeah it you does know? yeah you know so and the, and, and every Leadfoot album is like that too and even the blind record and the seizure ep mm-hmm. i have control over that <laughs> nice school of months i don't think i had any say on that maybe i did i might have i don't know do you have a different as far as picking what song goes first on a record versus what song you play live in a set list do you have any different yeah thought camps there yes because the, the reality of it is and you know this is sometimes what can happen in the in a matter of sequencing digital ones and zeros and yeah. all that is very difficult to pull off live now sometimes you just like oh my god i can't go into that one because i'm my fingers will fall off or i'll blow my voice out or you know what i mean like yeah the ebb and flow so you, it can be done but sometimes you have to do it differently. And then also there's other material that might not be on the album. You know, you want to stick it in somewhere and loop around. We actually do open the show with a, the same track as of right now. Nothing to steal is always the, kind of the opener, but everything else kind of is different from that point on. So just depends. Yeah. Yeah. And also I think too, with the album thing too, you, you, you live, it's different in the sense you want to, Slightly different narrative, I think, because you're there in the room interacting and breathing the same air. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I could manage expectations and do stuff differently with something that's just kind of a, a, a finished product that I've no when it's just out there and it's by itself in the world. It has, has to be kind of just sent out in a certain state, I think. So you're saying you 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 read the room and adjust accordingly? My, yeah, yeah, I do. I I and you know unless something's going terribly wrong, obviously we yeah, yeah, stop yeah. something. You yeah. know. I think that's the whole thing is you can make things work. Yeah. Just by, you know, being present. I mean, that's also the kind of music we play, right? Sure. But any music shouldn't matter. You know, if you're busking with a harmonica on the street or something, you know, read the room, baby. <laughs> read the street, you know? Yeah. You know? That's that's good. Yeah. Good, uh, 
Good advice. Yeah. Anything that you that we haven't touched on that you that you want to talk about or you want to shout out or you want to circle back to about opening tracks or bad brains? Oh, I don't know. I'm real good at rambling. I probably go on and on about everything and nothing. Uh, I'm I'm fine. I mean, there's no. I, there's I, only I, one planned question for this show, and it's why'd you pick the song? And then wherever we go, it's right, out of no, my no, control. No. Um, <laughs> that going back to that song, I just think it's it is for me. It was just such a happy, powerful place of. I, I know there's you know people could argue earlier records by them and this and all that, but just for me. Something about when I first put that on and heard them and I was like anticipating what are they going to do now? And they did that. And it just, it's just such a cool setup. And it was such a, for me, really interesting, cool period of time in the scene of bands, you know, and it was sort of a cool pinnacle, at least for them. I see it that way. They had other stuff too. And they, they had some questionable things that they pulled to as individuals. And yeah politically and all that stuff i don't want to get into all that but just from yeah, a pure yeah. musical perspective i just i don't know it's just such a cool moment i mean they had they had such a an impact on on oh, yeah. the scene on the sound like yeah. you can't you know, negate their their legacy yeah. and no, musical contributions no. by any means it, so many bands are super complicated yeah exactly i've been yeah. in a couple of those yeah, sure <laughs> you know? yeah yeah so what, what are you gonna do man yeah but the super super cool moment in time for me that's awesome. That's yeah. so cool that you got to be, not just witness it, but also be a, very a part of it. Yeah, too. yeah, absolutely. Super lucky on that front. Part of it too, and like anything else in life, is making it happen. Yeah. So I feel like, hey, I could have just not been into that kind of shit, but I have yeah. the good fortune of of having people that brought me in, and were it was the most amazing scene back then, and. Uh, beyond even the Connecticut scene, which was just family, and I'm still mm-hmm. in touch with all, so many of those people. It was just a, a very cool place for a frustrated teenager that was mad at the world to be. And instead of committing crimes and or or uh, hurting myself and or others, you know, I uh, was able to channel that that despair and aggression and rage and joy and everything into a pretty cool place with a lot of other people feeling the same thing. I love that. The the communion of yeah. that is Yeah, and that's so special. that's beyond the punk hardcore thing. That's yeah. that's music, man. Yeah, exactly. It's the best. Amen. That's Amen. right. Amen. That's our religion. Music is the best, to quote Frank Zappa. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it is the best. Do you notice any stark differences between I'm gonna use the scene, but in a more broad sense of doing the thing going out and playing shows and interacting with people at shows and seeing shows any stark differences good or bad that you see then versus now doing the thing i mean it's it's totally different it's totally the same you yeah know i mean it's yeah, yeah, yeah i'm i'm older a lot older you know uh literally still going to shows 40 years later <laughs> um, i said it out loud uh, or longer yeah yeah you yeah know, got an early start and it's still the happiest thing, mm-hmm. whether I'm on the stage or off the stage, just the way that I can connect with the universe. It's just yeah. the absolute best. And it's the same. That part's the same. Yeah. You know, it's just it, things hurt more now. <laughs> you know, but I'm still willing to do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think I think it's uh, kept me younger than most in that sense. It's like that's it's just a. 
you know, if it's too loud, you're too old, that kind of bullshit yeah. aphorism or whatever. But, you know, it's kind of true. <laughs> <laughs> Something to it. Yeah. You know, you can't hack it any more than maybe you can't hack it anymore. Yeah. Deaf and proud. but at least you know being a bass player i can feel i can feel the sound which is which Mm -hmm. is nice it's uh yeah i can still so even when i've completely blown out my eardrums i'll still just sit on my bass cab and (laughs) (laughs) feel the vibrations (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. i say what a lot more now what exactly (laughs) exactly i have to turn poor other people around me <laughs> i have to put subtitles on yeah for for so many Close captions where it's at man yeah yeah man everything's like a foreign movie <laughs> <laughs> the whole world is a foreign movie yeah i wish life came with with captions, captions oh yeah it'd be great well carl thank you so much oh, for man, talking with me this is awesome thanks for helping me make a mixtape and yeah, man. Uh, pleasure talking with you thank you for letting me ramble on i appreciate it very much thank you literally so much, anytime Ryan. look forward to it again all right Massive thanks to Carl for those wonderful stories. And I want to share with you some of Carl's wonderful music. As promised, here is a track from the brand new Lie Heavy record, Burn to the Moon, which is out wherever you get your music. This is Drag the World.
Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe and write a review within your favorite podcast service to feed those algorithm gods. Show notes and transcript can be found at letsmixtape.com and wherever you get your social media, you can follow us at Let's Mixtape. The music for the show was composed by the one and only Scotty Sandwich. Tune in next week as I discuss opening tracks with my bandmate in Doomsday Prophet, Brian Reed. <laughs>